All right, welcome everyone to today's podcast, my beautiful boons. If you're new here, welcome. If you're one of my OG listeners, thanks for staying along for the ride. Um, today we're going to be talking about how to empower yourself and never feel like a victim again. Within reason, of course, there are going to be situations in life where you're going to be an actual victim. But I'm going to be talking about the feeling of empowerment and things you can do to actually massively increase your feeling of empowerment. And what do I mean by empowerment? Where you are in power as far as you feel like you are in control of the situation and you can do something about it, okay? Because the flip side of feeling empowered is to feel powerless, okay? So we're going to be talking about ways to not feel powerless, to feel empowered and not feel like a victim, okay? We're going to go through, I think it's four or five things that's going to change your life, hopefully. We've got a brain fact, topic of today, and then I've got a listener story at the end. This listener question is actually a very good one because it talks about dealing with somebody in the workplace and this scenario is very, very unique because she literally cannot leave. Like it's actually quite, you know, she's stuck with this co-worker that seems like an absolute nightmare. So very interesting story. I think it's going to be a really fun one to dissect. Okay. Uh, life update. I'm actually recording this before the weekend and I've got my f- my friend Grace's wedding this weekend. So to, like you're going to hear this probably on Monday, I'm guessing. Um, but I'm recording this on the Thursday. Tomorrow I go to the Gold Coast and we've got um, like the welcome drinks, the next day the wedding and then the next day the recovery. It's like all the – I think I've mentioned to you guys that in my group of girlfriends there's kind of 10 of us and we all used to work at Red Bull together and so it's one of the Red Bull girls that's getting married. I'm going to be the MC at the wedding and I'm just so excited. I think like – a handful of us have gotten married thus far and there's some like weddings coming up and it's just really, really cute and adorable to, you know, go to all these events and it's just a really good opportunity for everyone to get together because some of us live, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, Gold Coast, Brisbane, North Queensland. We're kind of like scattered everywhere. So we do always try to find a couple of times throughout the year to meet up. But a wedding is the perfect excuse. So I will let you know how my emceeing goes. I also emceed at another Red Bull Girls wedding and I had a ball doing it. So you know me, I fucking just get me on a stage talking and I'll be thrilled. Okay, anyway, let's get straight on to the brain fact of today. So today I wanted I wanted to be talking about something called beta or beta amyloid or amyloid plaques, actually. So this is um, base. It's it's something that occurs in Alzheimer's disease, and it's basically one of the theories of the causes of Alzheimer's disease. Um, but it's or well, it's a hypothesis, right? It's not a definite like this is absolutely what causes it. But there's definitely some sort of a correlation in Alzheimer's disease. There are things called called amyloid plaques and also neurofibrillary tangles. I'm going to do neurofibrillary tangles on the following episode or in a coming episode. Today I'm talking about amyloid plaques. So what are they? Amyloid plaques are clumps of misfolded proteins in the brain that gets formed. So these, these, these misfolded pl- proteins clump together and they get formed between the gaps. Like they, they end up between the gaps between the nerve cells. So that um, presynaptic, postsynaptic terminal, that the gap in between. Okay. And these clumps, these plaques are behind the main hypothesis for what plays a central role in Alzheimer's disease. So, these alongside, like I said, alongside neurofibrillary tangles. But once these plaques are formed, they cannot be broken down or removed by the body. 
Okay, so they're coming up with all these treatments to find how to break them down and how to, you know, break it down at a rate where it's not damaging the brain. But the and you know they're trying trials, this and that. It's actually really difficult to do things like that because you've got to find what's going to penetrate the blood-brain barrier and all that shit. But anyway, it can't be broken down by the body. So they continue to accumulate and it's this accumulation that causes the damage to the surrounding tissue. It's thought to start in the part of the brain that's responsible for memory formation, like the hippocampus and learning. So that's why one of the earliest signs of Alzheimer's disease is loss of recent memories. And then it kind of progresses more and more and more to older and older memories. So beta amyloid is created when the amyloid precursor protein, I'm going to call it APP, the amyloid precursor protein, when that breaks down. And this protein is found within the membrane of cells. So the membrane, imagine it's like the, the, the outer layer of the cell, like the sac that the cell sits inside, it's a membrane, okay? One end of this protein is sitting like, so it's poking through the membrane. If you imagine that one end of this protein is sitting inside the cell, it's poking inside and the other is poking through the membrane and the other end sits outside of the cell. Now, one theory is that the purpose of APP, this amyloid precursor protein, is to help repair neurons and also to help them grow. We're not 100% sure, but that's what we believe its purpose is. Now, APP eventually gets broken down like a lot of other proteins within the body and brain. So proteins, you know, they... You know, things grow, they serve their purpose, they get broken down. New ones grow, they serve their purpose, they get broken down. With APP, it gets broken down and it happens by getting chopped or cleaved by two enzymes called alpha secretase and gamma secretase. Okay, so these two enzymes come in and chop up this protein and then it gets dissolved. Okay, and it gets chopped in two specific areas. And because of where it's chopped or cleaved, it's able to break down normally and essentially dissolve. It becomes soluble, okay? So if you imagine that the gamma secretase is chopping it a bit lower down to the inside of the, the fucking membrane and alpha secretase is chopping it a little bit higher, closer to the, you know, the outer edge, but still kind of in the middle of that protein, okay? So it's got two positions where it's getting chopped. I'm like move, waving my arms around trying to describe it as if you can see me. The issue is when something called beta secretase, a different enzyme, rolls in hot and splices it with gamma, but alpha doesn't chop where it's supposed to chop. So instead of alpha chopping and gamma chopping, we've now got beta and gamma. So alpha's now not even the picture. Beta's come in and, you know, basically fucking cock blocked alpha from doing its thing and it's now cleaving. Now this cleaving that beta does is happening way too high up, okay? It's, it's chopping where it's not supposed to chop. And that chunk of protein that detaches because it's chopped it too high up is a different shape and it's now no longer soluble. It doesn't get broken down by the body, okay? So because beta's rolled in and chopped it, alpha didn't get to do its job. It wasn't chopped in the right location. It's now a different shape. And because it's a different shape, it behaves differently in the body. So it floats off, but it's not getting broken down like it's supposed to be getting broken down. So that's the issue. That's what's happening. So now this non-soluble leftover chunk of protein is now, it's called a monomer. It's, called, it's a monomer called amyloid beta. Okay, so this amyloid beta has been detached. It's not getting broken down. It's non-soluble. It's floating around the brain. And these are attracted to each other. So it will not necessarily seek out, but when it comes next to another monomer, another amyloid beta monomer that was cleaved by 
the beta secretase, they get stuck together. They call it chemically sticky, right? So for chemically within the brain, when they do touch, they get stuck together and they're not detaching from each other. Then when it floats and finds another one, it gets stuck, it gets stuck, it gets stuck. So any of these um, monomers that get released are sticky, get stuck together, and that's what starts to form all these clumps or what they're also called beta amyloid plaques. So when these plaques get between the neurons – which is the synaptic cleft, then it starts to interfere with signaling from cell to cell. So information is not getting passed across properly and that's what's going to have an impact on the brain function and in this case it seems to have a massive impact on memory. It, and what they say is that this happens very much so in the cortex of the brain, the outer layer of the brain. And this is really affecting the memory. This could do with the location of where, where this is occurring in the brain because when you look at degeneration with with someone who's got Alzheimer's disease or even dementia, you see this kind of overall degeneration within the brain. But at the beginning, it is believed that it's happening more in the memory centers of the brain. Okay. Now you guys have heard me talk about the synaptic cleft. And that's where, you know, when I talk about a lot of things, like when we talk about dopamine, antidepressants, SSRIs, when we talk about, um, you know, all sorts of neurotransmitters and, and medications for mood disorders, a lot of it is happening within that synaptic cleft that I talk about all the fucking time when I talk about pharmacology or neurotransmitters. If you're getting this plaque chilling in that synaptic cleft, then it's literally getting in the way of this communication and the release and the absorption of neurochemicals between cells. Now, another theory is that because these clumps are not supposed to be there, they can kick off an immune response within the brain. And because they've kicked off this re immune response, it causes, it could potentially cause inflammation, which as I've explained in other episodes before, inflammation can be really, can have really, really harmful effects on surrounding cells because, you know, the environment for those cells changes and it become really toxic and it could potentially kill surrounding cells. It's also believed that these plaques can cause tiny holes um, to the membrane of other cells. And if there's holes within the cell wall, it's really hard for the cell to regulate the influx of calcium. And the, the gradient of calcium inside and outside the cell is crucial to the survival of a cell. So if it's not controlled properly, normally by like pumps that are located on the surface of the cell, they pump out calcium or in, then it can lead to neuronal death, okay? But either way, we know that the aggregation of these proteins is causing damage to neurons, which in turn leads to death. And we know that in Alzheimer's disease, there is definitely this um, presence of amyloid plaques. Whether that is the cause, it, this is just definitely one of like the main hypotheses, but whether that is the cause, that's not something that you can say for sure, okay? Um, I will be talking about neurofibrillary tangles in a coming episode, but that is the brain fact for today. So if you're interested in all things neurodegeneration, that that's something to look into um, and, you know, why that even happens in the first place. Okay, let's get straight into the topic of today. So like I said, the topic of today is all about empowering yourself and never feeling like a victim again within reason because there's going to be certain things where you're definitely going to be a victim. But there's other situations in life where I feel like we cause ourselves to sit in this victim mentality for longer than is necessary. And I think the reason why we do this, if you guys have read any of Eckhart Tolle's books, he explains it very well. And he talks about something called the pain body. And it's this weird attachment to your pain. I mean, he explains it way better, but it's kind of this idea that 
pain is almost like a comfort. It's and I feel like it's it's this idea of like better the devil you know. Sometimes we sit in our pain because we know it. It's in a way comforting and we feel safe in the sense that we don't have to we're not going out there being vulnerable, being exposed. We're sitting in this pain. It's almost like a protective factor. But what happens when you sit in that pain is that you replay this idea of being the victim. And when you are in a situation of feeling like a victim and prolonging that feeling of being a victim for longer than what is necessary, then you're actually blocking yourself from experiencing new things in your life, from achieving things in your life, from feeling the feelings that you want to be feeling in your life. And you stop yourself from, you know, having these opportunities or these things that you want to have. Okay. So I've got four, one, two, three, four, five things that I'm going to be breaking down. Okay. Number one, expecting that one of the issues is expecting people to value you more than the value you provide. Okay. If you do that, in other words, if you expect favours from people for no good enough reason, then you're going to feel like a victim when people don't follow through. It's this idea of like, oh, well, you promised me this thing and now you're not giving it to me, but I'm not actually providing you any value whatsoever. So you actually don't have to give me this thing. It's not like a, a transaction, a transactional thing, like a job where I work and you pay me. You've, you know, I'm, I'm now expecting something from you when I've literally not really earned it or I'm not giving you in anything of value in exchange. I'm going to give you an example that reverts back to Formula One because it's my favorite sport in the world. I fucking love it so much. And if you don't watch Formula One, give it a, give it a go, guys. I love it so much. But let's use Formula One as an example. So those that don't watch it, Mercedes was a team that was dominating with their driver, Lewis Hamilton, for years. Like he won with Mercedes, he won six world championships, okay? And he was on something like 40 million like euros a year, around that. It's some, some crazy amount. 40 million euros a year and he was – because he's the world champion, he's getting results. Mercedes is providing the best possible car and Lewis Hamilton was the one who was winning the world championship again and again and again. Since – then Red Bull's gone and taken over as, you know, they've won some championships and Mercedes kind of dropped down to like third or fourth in certain races positions. So they're not even like fighting for the, for the top at the moment. Mercedes has also come, had a new younger driver come in as their second driver, okay? Now, Lewis hasn't renewed his contract with Mercedes. He's, the second driver is now performing better than Lewis Hamilton is on a consistent basis and he did last year as well. And there's all this talk that Mercedes might not renew Lewis Hamilton's contract. I actually think they are going to renew it anyway. But anyway, I'm talking about all the talks behind it. So everyone's saying they're not going to renew Lewis's Hamilton's, Lewis Hamilton's contract. Um, and there's all this speculation that he's going to be dropped because he's no longer you know, winning and people are saying, where's the loyalty? How could they drop Lewis Hamilton after everything he's done for them? He's won all these world championships. And now that he's not winning, now that the second driver is better than him, they're just going to drop him. That would be so unfair. But this is where, and, and mind you, none of this is coming from the driver, Lewis Hamilton, but people are now expecting 
them to still keep him on and to pay him these crazy amounts of money. When he, but if he's not providing the value, why do they have to pay him? It's this idea of, of where's the loyalty, where's the loyalty? And I feel like it's all about value exchange. It should never be about loyalty when it comes to business and when it comes to career and work. It should not be about loyalty because it'd be nice if people were loyal here and there. But that's not what it's about. It's about a value exchange end of story, okay? Teams are called ruthless when they get rid of a driver when they're not performing. But this isn't a charity. These drivers are getting paid a fucking mozza. So if they're not living up to, if they're not giving a, a proper value exchange, the team is going to drop them. Okay. And that's the same with you in your life. If you expect your, your work to do all these things for you, or if someone promised you this internship and they promised you this and promised you, but you're not providing the value then you can't get annoyed and you can't feel like a victim in a situation, okay? If you, you have to ask yourself, what am I providing in this situation, whether it be work, whether it be relationships, whether it be whatever it is, what am I providing and am I providing something good enough that warrants me expecting someone to value me so highly? Because when you enter a situation, and this could be a romantic relationship, if you enter a relationship, you have to provide value, you can't be some wanker sitting there like a fucking dickhead and expect someone to value you and, oh, you, you, you know, if you can't love me at my worst, you can't have me at my best. What if your worst is being abusive and toxic? Not good enough, you know? So, like, I hate, as you guys probably know, that's one of my pet hates, that stupid quote of, if you can't handle me at my worst, you can't have me at my best. Good, I'd rather not have you at your best if you're a dickhead, okay? But I'm going on a tangent. But what I'm saying is that you always have to ask yourself, what value am I providing? You can't enter a relationship and think you have to treat me amazingly if, if you're not coming to the table and providing value either, okay? And a lot of people will expect to be treated a certain way, to be, you have the red carpet rolled out for them. What are you doing in exchange? And if you're not doing anything in exchange that's going to match or better what you're expecting, don't play the role of the victim. Feel more empowered and realize, you know what? I actually didn't pull my weight here. No wonder they haven't offered me this. No wonder they're not doing this. Look at the people around me. They're working harder. Look at the, my, my ex's new girlfriend. That person's or, or partner. They're way kinder to my ex than I was. No wonder. You know, it's all about having a bit of self-awareness and looking, am I providing the value? Number two, stop expecting others to look out for you more than how you look out for yourself. Okay? Don't think... Don't have this idea in your head of like, you were supposed to do this for me or you didn't motivate me. You promised you would motivate me. That is the number one way to fall victim to your circumstances. You know, if you get an accountability buddy or if you say to somebody, you know, don't let me, don't let me eat chocolate tonight after dinner, you know, and then after dinner rolls around and you're like, oh, should we have chocolate? And then they're like, yeah, all right. And then they give you some chocolate and then you're like, you promised, you said that you were, you weren't looking up for yourself. So shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, you can, you can hope that they're going to help you. But, and that's a tiny example. There are much bigger examples of that that are way more serious. But it's all well and good to request someone do something and hope that they do. But if they don't follow through with something, something on something that you're not following through with, then you can't feel like the victim in that scenario. You just can't. You've got to realize that people, you know, may or may not look out for you. It's your job to look out for yourself. In an ideal world, in healthy relationships, you have a good circle that looks out for you. But you shouldn't be relying on everyone looking out for you more than you look out for yourself. That's where the problem lies. 
You have to set the standard of what you expect for yourself. And then people are more likely to follow through with that. But if you are are not looking out for yourself whatsoever in any scenario and you're expecting everyone to do the heavy lifting for you, you're going to feel like a victim because you're going to be let down. Okay? Number three, stop feeling like a victim when you're not actually the victim. This is a huge one. So there's definitely moments in your life where you're actually going to be a victim. These are things like where you've been hurt intentionally, when you've been intentionally left out of something, when you've been attacked. But when something is hard for you, it doesn't automatically make you a victim in a situation. For example, if someone's promised to help you with something and then doesn't follow through with that promise, you're not a victim. You need to be very selective with when you decide that you're a victim of a situation versus when you're not. Because when the moment you align with feeling like the victim, you're in a position of powerlessness in that moment or near powerlessness, okay? So don't actively be whipping up that card of, I have no power in this situation, unless you absolutely have to. And you're like, you know, and, and it's fine to play that card when it means it, when you mean it. It's fine to be like, I'm powerless in this situation right now. I need to just accept what is or I need help and I need to reach out for help. But there are going to be many situations in your life where you do have some power to do something. And if you start telling yourself that you don't have power, then you're not going to do anything about it. And then you truly are just going to be a victim to your, to your environment, you know. So, for example, let's use this example. Let's say you move to a city a new city because your friend said to you, oh, you can stay with me and I'll help you get a job. So you're like, great, this is fucking set up for me. This is awesome. I'm, you know, I've never done anything outside of my comfort zone. I'm now going to move to this city and it's all lined up for me. Easy. So you go. You get there and the home is really far from the, the city. You're like, this is fucking shit. I'm like really far away from where I want to be. This is like average. The job is shit. You hate it. Um, maybe you don't like the people that you work with. Maybe you don't like the work in itself. You just don't like it. So then you leave. You're like, fuck this. So you move back and you move back home and you say, look, the reason you tell everyone, the reason my move didn't work is because I was promised something and it wasn't what I was promised. So now I'm back. Like, can you believe it? Can you believe that these people promised me this? And then it was actually shit and the house wasn't what, what I was promised and blah, 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 blah. Too bad, mate too fucking bad and if you're going to crumble every time that happens every time someone's like hey I'll help you out here but it's not what you envisaged it's going to be and then you run back home every time something like that happens what are you going to end up as a ball of paste right like when something doesn't go your way that's called a fucking lesson okay it's called a shit time it's not you've now been hard done by how dare someone not fix this for you you know How dare you be in a situation where someone hasn't fixed it for you, you know, you better run home. It's your opportunity to steer yourself in a different direction, okay? And if you don't, then you're going to be back where you started. Now, look at at the things that you don't want to do as a life lesson, okay? Because you're always going to be in a situation where you have to do things that you don't want to do. If you move to a new city, you might have to work in a shit job that you don't love in order to get a better job, okay? You might have to live in in a place with all these really fucking annoying people in order to then save up to live in a better place with less annoying people, okay? When I have kids... I would never want to shield my children from hard work, from understanding the value of a dollar, from dealing with difficult people, from dealing with difficult customers. I'm going to get my kids straight into hospitality the moment they're old enough to 
because dealing with customers who are unhappy is one of the best ways to learn how to deal with society in general in a level-headed way, okay? Um, And dealing with heartbreak. I'd never want to protect my children from heartbreak because it's awful as it is to see someone go through that pain. It's one of the best teachers ever. These are skills that people need to learn, including yourself. So, Ask yourself, every time something goes wrong, am I wasting away a learning opportunity to make myself resilient as fuck, intelligent and to grow? Am I, or am I playing the card of, I'm the victim, I can't believe these people didn't help me out in this situation, and then you run home. What's it going to be? Okay, Are you actually the victim or not? Because sometimes you are the victim and that's fine. But be very selective when you decide to align yourself with being a victim and make sure it's not all the time. Number four, limit the amount of people that owe you. So one of the best ways to stop disappointing yourself is by not saying, oh, they were supposed to do this to me or or do this for me or they owe me a response or they owe me closure. If someone isn't giving you the decency to communicate openly with you, let's talk about dating for example, Why are you expecting more? Why are you expecting a response? I mean, you can expect something from someone who actually doesn't want you in their life anymore, but then you're just going to sit there and be bitter and it's only going to affect you. You know, so much of my learning came from realizing that while I was sitting there miserable, expecting my exes to give me an answer because they fucking better, you know, they owe me this and they're off living their best fucking life. And here I am like sour fucking lemon dried up sitting there having a meltdown. The only person that suffered was me. Stop, you know, just limit the amount of people that owe you shit. The moment you think, wait a minute, whether it's kind or unkind or whatever you want to label it, fuck the labels, they don't actually owe me anything. The moment someone says to me, I don't want to be in your life anymore, I don't want you in my life anymore, they stop owing you anything. Unless you have a contractual thing where they owe you cash for a property or you know something that's on paper, no one actually owes you anything, especially when it comes to emotions, okay? Especially when it comes to emotions. You own your emotions. No one can control your emotions. No one can make it better or make it worse. That's up to you. Okay. And you can think, you know, the more I expect closure for someone who's never going to give it to me, the angry I'm going to feel. The more hard done by I feel by an ex or by a friend or by a relative or at work, the more I'm going to feel like I'm not good enough you know, that it was okay for someone to do that for me. And this is when walls come up. This is where you, you know, become jaded with the next relationship that you get into or the next group of friends that you get into. You've got to say, these people have exited my life and because of that, they don't owe me shit. Peace and blessings. Let the Lord be with you. On to the next, okay? I actually like feeling that no one owes me anything. It makes me feel way more independent. It makes me feel like I'm in charge of my own emotions and it's up to me to feel good. The moment I think someone owes me something emotionally, you put the power in someone else's hands. You, you say it's up to you for me to feel good. Fuck that. That's terrible. That is terrible. What are you telling yourself? That your own happiness isn't in your own hands. Okay. So unless I have agreed contractually on an exchange of something like goods for services or a loan, then no one owes me anything. And, you know, to be a bit kinder about what I'm talking about, ideally, 
if your relationships are really healthy and fruitful, you should owe it to yourself and owe it to the ones that you love to invest the time and energy to those relationships to keep them healthy and fruitful. And that should be a mutual thing. So it's not to say that you should be some martyr, loving everyone and no one owes you anything back. That's how you determine, do I want to be in this relationship or not? Is it mutually beneficial or is it not? Okay. But in general, Try and limit the amount of people that owe you. You're going to save yourself so much time. You're going to feel so much more empowered. The moment someone owes you something, especially emotionally, you put the power, you grab the power from your fucking hands and you place it directly in that person's hands. For years, maybe two years, three years of my life, two years, whatever, I literally put the power of me getting over someone and my heartbreak and my happiness regarding heartbreak in my ex's hands. Am I high on crack? As if you're going to give the power, the person that broke your heart, you then give them the power to make you, oh, you, you fucking ripped my heart out and stomped on it. Here you go. Here's the power to make me happy again. No, no. Thank you very much. I'll take that power back. You don't owe me anything. On your merry way, goodbye. That's how you want to feel. And it's not to say that you're still not going to be heartbroken. You can still have the heartbreak. You can still have the pain. But if you think that they owe you something, I can guarantee you that heartbreak is going to last longer. Guarantee that heartbreak will last longer. All right, last one, and then it's a listener question. Number five, understand that sometimes in life you are just a number and you are replaceable. And this is a good thing. It sounds so (laughs) negative, from the outset, I just read that back and I was like, oh, that's really fucking negative. But it's a good thing. And I'm not talking about real connections and real relationships with people that matter in this scenario. I'm talking about work, in business and in career opportunities. Sometimes we allow our emotions, we allow ourselves to get so invested emotionally in things that the people on the receiving end are not emotional about it all. So here you are, all these emotions, and say it's a company, you know, somewhere where you're interning, uh, an investor, whatever. They're not looking at it emotionally. They're looking at it as a business. Sometimes you've got to ask yourself, am I being viewed as a number or as dollar signs or am I being viewed as an emotional benefit to this person? And when it comes to business, I can guarantee you these companies aren't looking at you being like, oh, what a good emotional investment this is for no they're looking at you being like what can you provide for my company as far as dollar signs go or if an investor is looking at you they're going to look at you and say what can you give me no investor gives you money out of charity unless they actually you know love you on a personal level and don't care for for any return on their investment okay so when you look at business when you look at like when I was doing acting all those things career-wise If I had reminded myself back then that I'm just a number, I'm just replaceable, I feel like I would be way more at ease with the outcome of everything because when I made it so personal, I would feel like I am being rejected. Me, Alexis, is being rejected and it was such a blow and I would feel so hurt by it. And now looking back, it's like it has nothing to do with me. It's got to do with what I presented at the time and how many other people are presenting that thing and it's a numbers game, right? And you actually end up getting a much thicker skin when you can turn around and say, I'm just a fucking number here, okay? I'm going to invest all my time and energy and my happiness in things that are emotional and that matter. And that's relationships, things that make you grow, um, you know, connection to people that matter in your life, um, passions of yours, your purpose. But when it comes to other things in your life, it 
you take away this idea that it's personal and get that thicker skin and remind yourself that, you know, in this scenario, I'm not being attacked personally. I am just a number or I am replaceable. Okay. Your job in these situations in your career is to take care of yourself. Okay. It's also to learn how to be resourceful. It's to, to learn to be okay with not succeeding in something and focusing on the bounce back and not focusing on, you know, the pain or not focusing on getting revenge or, you know, proving that person wrong. Your aim is to focus on your comeback and being resilient and being okay with these things. And the, the quicker you get to the point where you understand how someone views you from a professional standpoint – the easier it's going to be to be less detached. And when you're less detached, it's a lot easier to move on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. If you're bitter and sour because someone never gave you the job and then you're festering, 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 you're probably ignoring all these other opportunities that are, that are you know, passing you by in that moment, okay? So you got to – it's a numbers game. I am replaceable and that's not a bad thing. That's not a fucking bad thing. And I like to think that I am replaceable at work when I was younger because then I wouldn't feel so guilty quitting. I knew that I was a number and I knew that I'd be replaceable. So I'm like, I'm fucking out, cunt. And I know I'm replaceable, so I don't even need to feel bad, okay? All right, that is the topic of today. I'm just going to go over the main points. So number one was expecting people to value you more than the value you provide. Number two is um, stop expecting others to look out for you more than how you look out for yourself. Number three is feeling like a victim when you're not actually the victim, Number four, limit the amount of people that owe you something. And number five, understand that sometimes in life you're just a number and that you are replaceable. All right, let's get straight into the listener question. Hi, Alexis. I first off wanted to say that I love your podcast and study them as if I was religious and reading the Bible. I love that so much. I hate to trauma dump on you, but I'm desperate for your advice as I'm really struggling with the workplace with workplace bullying from this girl I work with. She's older than me and has been on the yacht. We work together longer than me. But because of my experience, I'm higher up than her and I also get paid more and she is aware of that. So basically she has a huge chip on her shoulder about me and I believe she's so insecure in herself that she projects that onto me by trying to continuously break me down, catch me out in front of people with anything I may have missed in work and shuts me down in almost every social encounter. I honestly feel like I have become the shell of myself at the moment because I can't be myself and it's breaking me and my mental health down. She's basically a narcissist in my opinion and I think trying to sit down to talk to her wouldn't only be super intimidating for me but most likely even useless because I don't think you can even change a person like her. I've spoken to my boss and she says that I need to learn that that's just the way she is. I'm feeling so down on myself because I have too much of a kind nature and struggle so much with confrontation that I let people walk all over me, which makes me hate myself. I feel like I'm trapped in a cycle that's rapidly affecting my mental health. Should I just leave this job even though I have just worked my way, worked my butt off for the last six months to get a pay rise and promotion? Or would that be running away from problems and letting her win? Side note. The boat I'm working on is currently on is currently doing a three-week Atlantic crossing, so I'm stuck with her and could really use the advice, feeling like I'm on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Okay, so you definitely can't do anything for the next three weeks um, as far as leaving and whatever. I also think it would be – if you love the job that you're doing, I also think it would be a massive shame for you to leave if it was just because of this one individual, right? 
Obviously, I do believe that your mental health always comes first and there are times in your life where sometimes you do have to cut your losses for the sake of your peace of mind and I'm a huge advocate for, you know, if you feel that you have to leave, I don't believe it's giving up if you're giving yourself a chance at happiness. So don't ever feel that you leaving is the wrong thing. But also if you love your job in this scenario, it would be a shame for you to leave because of this individual. One thing that I think is probably, I kind of look at this as a good thing, is that you spoke to your boss. I'm just looking up. You spoke to your boss and she said that you need to learn that she is the way she is. So your boss is not willing to interfere whatsoever. Your boss is aware that she's a narcissist. She's aware that she's a bully and she's not doing anything about it. Great. Do you know what this means? It means that it gives you free reign to manage the situation how you see fit. Because if a boss isn't going isn't to step in when there's a bullying situation, it means that your boss is going to do fuck all, which means that you can get a bit more of a backbone and you can do certain things. And I can guarantee you the boss isn't going to turn around and do shit to you because you could turn around and say, I warned you, cunt. I fucking warned you. I said that this wasn't going to go well. And so I took matters into my own hands. Now, I'm not saying you need to go rogue on this woman, but now what this woman has made clear is that she's not interested in any kind of friendship or any kind of relationship with you. That's fine. She's absolutely insecure. Otherwise, she wouldn't be pulling you down in front of other people. So what I would probably do is I would be calling her out publicly. If you feel that you are uncomfortable speaking to her in private and if you genuinely feel that it is not possible to talk to her about a resolution in private – I mean, I'm all for trying to talk about it in private and I'm all for writing a letter because it puts everything down first. But if you genuinely feel that those are not avenues that you want to go down, then I would be in front of other people saying something. So if she pulls you up on something in front of other people, then I would say, is there a reason you couldn't mention this to me in private? Like I would call her out for being a dog to me in public, I would say, is there a reason you didn't, you couldn't, you felt that you couldn't talk to me about this issue in private? Is there a reason you need to be so public about this? I would just be questioning her on her own behavior repeatedly. Another one is I would just straight up ask her to her face, what is your actual problem with me? Because I don't need to be your friend, but I do need to coexist around you so we can do it the hard way or we could do it the easier way and I'm happy to just not talk unless it's absolutely necessary but if you want you're willing you are you are welcome to share with me what your problem is because as far as I'm concerned I've done nothing wrong but please enlighten me you know I would I personally would do that because the thing is if you're not willing to talk to her at all then the only things you can do is make you know call her out in public here or there when she does it. If you're not willing to talk to her, then you cut out a massive chunk of things that could be done to ameliorate this situation. Um, Writing a letter is what I think is one of the best things to do. Uh, If she is an actual narcissist, she's not going to respond well to that letter at all because you've just called her out and narcissists don't like being called out. But basically I would, yeah, I would pull her up when she pulls you up. I would ask her to her face what her problem is I would also give her an option. I would say to her, we've got three weeks together. These are your two options. We do not talk. We do not interact. Or we learn to find a way to respect each other. 
and I'm happy with either, but I just want to be on the same page. So if you don't want to respect me and you don't want to talk and you don't want to interact whatsoever, then I'm happy to do that. But that includes you not trying to bully me in front of the rest of the team. Because if you bully me in front of the rest of the team, I'm more than happy to call you out in front of the rest of the team. So you pick. Or we can be mutually respectful enough that we can coexist for the next three weeks until we, you know, reach shore. Like you need to hit them right between the eyes and you need to talk to them about it because the only alternative after all of that is to just fucking bend over and take it, which obviously you don't want to do because you're literally on the verge of a nervous breakdown. So I would absolutely talk to this person. I think it's a good thing that you've spoken to your, the, the boss. I think the boss is obviously aware of her behavior if she's going to make that kind of statement and something has to be said. So those are my options. I personally would absolutely look her straight in the face and say, we need to talk. We either talk now or we talk later today at a time that's convenient for you. You let me know. But how it's going is not going to continue. So we need to come to a resolution. All right. Um, You'll be surprised at how often some people will crumble and end up being nice when they're confronted. You'll be surprised. Not saying that this will happen with her, but often people will wave their dicks around trying to be like, oh, I'm fucking, I'm the boss. I'm the, and the moment you fucking intimidate them, not even intentionally, but the moment you come in hot and be like, I'm not afraid. I'm willing to talk about the actual issue at hand. I'm not a passive aggressive person. I want to actually get to the bottom of this. They freak the fuck out and they end up calming down. Okay. So I personally would go down that path. Uh, hopefully that helped and I hate that you're in that situation because this seems like a really fucking epic job and it would be really sad if you can't enjoy these three weeks um, crossing the Atlantic. What a vibe. Uh, Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening today. Love you all so much. And as always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care.